Hello and welcome to Sake Revolution. This is America's first sake podcast and I'm your host John Puma, founder of the SakeNotes.com, Sake Nerd at Large, and the administrator of the internet's original Sake Discord. And I'm your host Timothy Sullivan. I'm a sake samurai, sake educator, as well as the founder of the Urban Sake website. And together, John and I will be tasting and chatting about all things sake. That's right. Now, Tim, we are still in lockdown. Yes, we are. I feel are. like the whole world is still in lockdown. Uh, but have you heard any news, any sake news? Well, you know, there's a lot of bad news, sad news, downer news going on in the news. But I did hear one interesting, fun thing from the world of sake. Uh, there. <sighs> I know. Interesting, fun things. Yeah, I, I like. I can. I could really, Tim. I could really go for some interesting, fun news. We could so, all, so hit me. We could all use an interesting, fun thing. Uh, I I read online that Mie Prefecture, Mie is one of the forty-seven prefectures uh, in Japan. They launched their own GI certification. Now, GI stands for Geographical Indication, and that is something that only a few prefectures have. Uh, right, and I. I I happen to know that my my favorite Yamagata is a a big proponent of that. They have their own geographical indicator. We see that in a lot of their labels. Uh, are Mie's rules going to be similar, or or what's the story with this? Well, I didn't look too deeply into the exact rules, but I, I skimmed it, and they said that the ingredients, certain ingredients from Mie were required, and also certain production methodology from Mie was required as well. Ooh, interesting. Um, yeah. I think, I think, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure this means we're going to need to do a little prefecture spotlight on Mie in the near future. Yes, I don't think we get a ton of sake from Mie in the States, but we're going to make it happen. Oh yeah, definitely. It's going to be interesting to explore uh, kind of, you know, their sake production. You know, when we do do that Mie episode, I'm going to look into it a little more deeply and see what exactly the requirements are for the production process. Nice. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, we're going to be touching a little bit on the production process again today in our Sake Education Corner slash Sake Production Series. <laughs> yes, we are still working on our Sake Production Series, but we're getting towards the end. We just have a few more steps to go. And what's today? Uh, today is, we have pressing matters to attend to today. Oh, you, that pun. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, that, was that more of a pun or a dad joke? Or is it the same thing? I, I, I don't care. I'm just happy. <laughs> no shame. All right. I'm, I'm glad. I have no shame. So our pressing, matters, our pressing matters are talking about sake pressing. This is when you actually get the alcohol. At the end of all those steps, you finally get something to drink. That's why I love pressing so much. Ooh, all right, I'm, I'm ready. So, yeah. Tim, why don't you take us, take us from the top here? Uh, I know we started with rice many, many moons ago. Yes, for those of you who are just tuning in and haven't been listening to the rest of the series, a really quick recap about what the steps are. So we start with the rice milling. Then the raw materials preparation, that means rice washing, soaking, and steaming. Then we move on to koji making, that's making that molded rice, which is one of the ingredients in sake. Then we do a fermentation starter to build up the yeast. 
Then we have moromi, which was our topic last time. And moromi is the main mash, the main fermentation mash. That goes for about 30 days. And then we are ready to move on to pressing. Pressing matters. Now, um, does, does, does pressing have a dancing step like the moromi did? <laughs> no, there's no dancing. No dancing. Okay. But we do have three different ways of pressing sake. Three. Three. All right. I'm ready. What's yeah. number one? What's the most yeah. common? Let's start there. Yeah. The most common is called the yabuta. So yabuta is machine pressing. And if mm-hmm. you've ever visited a sake brewery, it looks like a giant accordion. It's yes. about the size of a bus, small bus. And it's got, uh, it looks like a giant squeeze box or accordion. Right. And the sake gets pumped into these frames. And then every frame has a little balloon bladder next to it. And then they pump in air and the bladders expand and squeeze the sake mash in each frame. And the liquid is forced out a little slit in the bottom and all the unfermented rice solids are held back. And then you can open up the frames, split them apart and peel out the leftover sake kasu, which is the leftover leaves or the the unfermented rice leftovers. Uh, So that's that's the most common method is the what we call yabuta. Cleaning out that yabuta sounds like it would be a lot of work. You know, can I tell you something? Uh, when I worked at the brewery, they had me do every job in the brewery. And cleaning out the kasu, scraping out the yabuta, that was actually my favorite job. Your favorite job? My favorite job. All right. I need to know, I need to know why this was your favorite job. Well, it smelled like sake. <laughs> 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 it, the smell was amazing. It was so good. Nice. And, and you know, if you, if you have a certain type of personality, when you're scraping the, the kasu out, for those of you who haven't seen that before, how can we describe kasu? It's kind of like uh, a cake, uh, yeah. a very thin cake of uh, fermented rice. Um, and it's a little wet, a little mushy, but mostly solid. And when you scrape it out, you have to get like every piece of it out. So if you're a very meticulous type of person, uh, when you're scraping it out, very fastidious, it, it's a fun, I almost made a game out of it, trying to get the pieces of kasu out all in one, one movement. And uh, honestly, I really enjoyed that the most. And it was very satisfying. You were moving constantly, so there was no boredom. And yeah, I just really liked it. So that's yabuta. And one one note, the the term yabuta is actually a brand name for this machine. Really? There are other companies that make the same machine. It's actually called asaku-ki. Asaku mm-hmm. is the, the Japanese word for this automatic pressing machine. But everybody calls it a yabuta, just like you call it a Q-tip or a Kleenex. You know, it's like it's a brand name that means that thing. Okay, so it's kind of like Xeroxing then too, Exactly. Right? All right. Now... Um, do, do you, are you always this meticulous a cleaner or is this something that <laughs> developed as a result of being at the brewery? Um, I have not been that meticulous a cleaner, but again, I kind of made a game out of it. And it was like, you know, every, every panel that they slip in front of you, you've got to scrape it all off and you have a certain time limit too. So Ooh. yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And it was something, it's something I could do. Like you don't need a ton of skill, 
like when you're making koji, I what I wasn't experienced enough to be like the master of the koji room, but not by a long shot. But, who but scraping the kasu was something I could do and picked up really quick, and it made me feel like I was really contributing. So that that's another reason I really liked it. Nice. So does that mean that there's no robots that are stealing our kasu scraping jobs then? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> there's no kasu scraping robots that I know of. Ah. So that job is safe for now with the humans. Okay. All right. So so after this pressing is done and, and the sake is coming out the, the, the bottom, I assume mm -hmm. it's going to go into a, a tank of some sort. Yes. And now that's, that's the sake. That's it. We're done. Well, not done, <laughs> but we can drink this. <laughs> we can drink this. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. If you put what comes out of the press, if you put that in a bottle, you can sell that. You know, you can... Uh, it is, you know, undiluted with water, unpasteurized, uh, or he's still in there. It's like it is sake, but you can legally sell it. Very, very often they're going to further process this. Mm -hmm. But everything at this from this point on is post-fermentation. Oh, so all, right. all those steps that they do, I call them sake styles, whether you're going to make it cloudy or clear, whether you're going to add water or not, whether you're going to pasteurize it or not, how many times you're going to pasteurize it. Are you going to uh, rack it or not? All those different steps. These are all post-fermentation things. So this is like a dividing line between post-fermentation and pre-fermentation. Right. I believe in a previous episode, we talked about how uh, during a recent visit to Japan, I got to taste sake directly out of the press mm. uh, for the first time. And that was a really interesting experience. It was very big and wild because it isn't processed at all. It's just... There it is. <laughs> it is literally the freshest sake you can possibly have. Yeah, there's nothing like it. It's it's amazing. Yeah. So really that's cool. that's that's our option number one for pressing. Yes, that's right. What else do we have? The second most commonly used pressing method is called fune. 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 Do you know what the word fune means in Japanese? Uh, is it a brand name? No. Ah, no, I do not. Fune means boat. A boat. Boat, yes. Like, come sail away. Yeah, like a boat. I know, I know, I know what a boat is. I just didn't <laughs> expect it to come up in this episode. Yes. So this word fune means boat. And it is um, one of what they call one of the pressing methods. And I need you to picture a long rectangular box with an open top. Okay? Got it. And what they do is they fill the Moromi mash into these long, skinny bags that are probably like three feet long, one foot wide. They put Moromi mash in there, they fold over the top, and they lay them down inside this box, one next to the other, and then one on top of the other. Mm -hmm. And they stack these bags like bricks inside this rectangular box. And the rectangular box has a hole in the front at the bottom. And so the weight of all the bags is pressing down. And some sake is going to trickle out just by the weight of gravity of all these bags stacked on top of each other. And then when that stops, they have a board that they put on the top of the box and they start pushing down. Mm. Usually a hydraulic arm is going to push this board down and it squeezes the bags that are stacked inside this rectangular box. And the reason they call it a boat is because it kind of looks like a boat. <laughs> okay, I don't. It doesn't. Really All right, look, look like I've a seen boat. a fune, and I don't see the boat, <laughs> the boat analogy. <laughs> but maybe the one I saw was 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 very uh, small. 
I mean, if you plugged up the hole and kind of set it in the water, it might float. I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> I don't think we're going to find anybody who's willing to let us try that. Too. <laughs> when you visit older sake breweries, they have fune that are made of wood and they're very, really? very oh, that's old. interesting. Yeah. That was the original. Modern ones are um, usually made of metal or lined with stainless steel so that the they're completely neutral. I think the only ones I've seen were made out of metal, uh, yeah. actually. Uh, here in Brooklyn, uh, Kato Sake Works uses a fune. Oh, that's great. So uh, that's, the, that's the second method that breweries use. And some breweries use uh, the yabuta for their more generic everyday sake. Uh-huh. And then they'll use the fune for more refined sake, more expensive oh, really? sake. So yeah. is, there, is there an advantage to utilizing the fune? Well, when the you boat? talk about sake pressing... There is a desirable section of the pressing that is the considered the best quality. Mm. It's not the first stuff to come out, and it's not the very end. It's the middle. The middle of the pressing cycle is considered the highest quality. The middle cut. I believe I've heard this yeah. phrasing in uh, in whiskey production as well. Hmm. Yeah, it's the same same in sake. The first stuff coming out is considered kind of brash, and the final stuff can be a little bit, uh, you know, uh, harsh as well. So. They like the middle section as the highest quality, and uh, you get more control of that with the, with the, uh, the fune method. Huh. All right, and and I guess that leaves us with one last method. Yes. What is it? Well, don't be a drip. It is the drip <laughs> method. <laughs> They're really piling up today, aren't they, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's the drip, drip method, method, also and, called uh, trickle sake. Trickle. Yeah, trickle sake. And you basically take those same bags that we were putting in the fune, those long bags. Mm-hmm. You put the maromi mash in, and you tie it at one end, and you hang it over an empty, clean tank. And you just let the sake drip out by gravity alone. Huh. No that, pressure, no touching, just whatever comes out just by dripping, by gravity. That sounds like, well, it sounds uh, very time consuming. And it also sounds like you may not get the same yields as the other methods because you're not squeezing, you're just kind of letting it happen. That's right. Very all natural. Yeah. It's the most expensive method because right. you're leaving a lot on the table. You know, you're, you're not squeezing every last drop of sake out of your mash. So you have a lot left over. And there's, there's one word I want to teach you that not many sake lovers know about. And some, when I learned about it, I thought it was super fascinating. You, you know what semaibuai means, right? I do. Semaibuai, that is the rice milling ratio or rice milling percentage, right? That's right. There's another word, kasubuai. Kasu. Oh, okay. Kasubuai. So kasu is the leftover pressings, and buai is the ratio or the percentage. So it's the amount of kasu that you have left after pressing. If you have a lot of kasu left over, you didn't squeeze very much. If you have a small amount of kasu left over, you squeezed every last drop out of there. So this ratio of how much kasu you have left over during this pressing step, that is an indication of, uh, it's a quality indication. And I've heard some brewers say, oh, we have a kasubuai of 45%. That means, you know, they're, they have a lot of kasu left over. They didn't squeeze very hard, so the sake they got out was very high quality. 
And I imagine that Shizoku has the most Kasushiko. Bingo, yes. Shizuku, this drip sake, has the highest kasubuai. So it has the, the most leftover kasu, meaning you didn't squeeze very hard at all. And that translates to a cleaner, um, more smooth, elegant sake. Yeah. I've had some, very few, but I've had some uh, Shizuku before, and it's, whew, it is elegant. It is very, very nice. Very, very delicate. Yeah. I don't think we can leave the the topic of uh, drip sake or shizuku sake without mentioning how expensive it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's another yeah. thing. Uh, I've tasted it. I've never bought a bottle before. <laughs> yeah. It's always been prohibitively expensive. Yeah, it's really expensive. And it's just because of, you know, what goes on mm. with the pressing is a very luxurious treatment. And, uh, uh, you know, too much pressing can... Uh, create some rough edges in the sake. So when you don't press at all, you just get this super silky smooth. Now, I've heard of another style of pressing. And I need to check with you to see how, Mm -hmm. to see if there's anything to this. Centrifuge. Oh, that's right. Yep, that is... Uh, technically another style of pressing very good yeah i kind of left that off the list it kind of slipped my mind because very very few breweries uh use that yeah it sounds very unusual and and honestly a little expensive (laughs) yeah the the machinery to do the centrifuge is very expensive and if you don't know what it is just think of like a salad spinner you know if you use (laughs) a salad spinner to press your sake that's basically what it is I've always thought of it more uh, uh, that, uh, more like a, fr- a front-loading dryer <laughs> <laughs> where it's just, just spinning it around and, mm-hmm. and the, the kasu is up against the walls of, of, this, uh, of this centrifuge. And the yeah. sake seeps through the sides and, and trips out, yeah. or flies out, I guess. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. There's, there's four methods of pressing. You got me. That's a good one. Yeah, and... That is a very specialized type of pressing. And again, just like Shizuku, any sake made with a centrifuge is going to be very pricey, very expensive. And the breweries that do have one usually make a premium, a super premium sake with two different pressing methods. They'll make some of the batch using the centrifuge and they'll press some of it using the fune or, or Shizuku Ooh, method. That would, that would be an interesting, can compare that would be an interesting yeah. taste experiment. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, we'll have to track some centrifuge sake down. One of <laughs> There's these not days. that much of it. That's another episode. We can or, have, or a, maybe some, maybe some uh, fune and shizuku, or something like that. Yeah, well, it's a absolutely. centrifuge taste comparison. Now that's going to be a fun episode. Yeah, we'll if have we, to do our research on that one. Yeah, first, I don't know we how to, we're going to do it. I don't know how many breweries in Japan have a centrifuge. I don't think it's very many. No, uh, I know of. I currently know of two. All right. I haven't asked around though. All right. Well, there you have it. Those are our three, I mean, four pressing methods. Three and a half. (laughs) (laughs) Very few centrifuge. Absolutely right. Centrifuge (laughs) should have its spot, its moment in the sun. So I'm going to say four pressing methods. Very good. All right. There we are, everybody. Four pressing methods. But now, now is the time on Sake Revolution where we drink the sake. Yes. I've been waiting. You have. You have. What What did you bring for us today, Tim? Well, let me introduce you to 
Ban Ryu. Ban Ryu. It means 10,000 ways in English. Ooh. And this is from the Echo Fuji Brewery. I think we had an oh. Echo Fuji sake before on the show. Yes, uh, I believe I tasted their Hankara, their Hanjozo Karakuchi. That very, very dry, very, 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 very dry and a little bit fruity, if I, if yeah. I recall correctly. Yep. And this one is actually a futsushu or uh, everyday table oh, sake. Wow. All right. And what do you have, John? Um, I have uh, Hanagaki's Usunigori. Ooh, another nigori. Yes. And this is a, a Junmai Daiginjo. So I went in the exact opposite direction. You know, since this is Junmai Daiginjo, this is a very elegant sake. And with the Usunigori... It's uh, gonna introduce a little bit of uh, in, you know, a little bit of weirdness to it, I think. Yeah, I think Junmai Daiginjo Nigoris are pretty rare. There's not a lot of yeah. them out there. Very, very rare, I think. All right. So why don't you uh, get started? Why don't you uh, open that up and let's see what we have? Yeah. So Ban Ryu, ten thousand ways. Do you know what that's referring to? I do not. Let me get this in my glass. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, they say that sake brewing, the art of sake brewing, is really the art of 10,000 ways. So you can, there's 10,000 ways to make sake. <laughs> uh, so that's what that refers to. And as we've been, if we add up all the different methods we've been talking about, I'm sure we, we'd get to 10,000 very fast. We'll get there eventually. All right. Okay. I'm going to give this a smell. Hmm. It smells bold mm. and definitely ricey. There's a graininess about it, um, but not at all unpleasant. Really, really nice. Like a very gentle aromatic of like a toasted grain of some kind. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, really, really nice. Um, Okay, let me give it a taste. Hmm. Wow. That's really good. So this has a rice milling rate of 65%. Ooh. So that is, uh, normally, this would be a honjozo. Yeah. But they're selling it as their futsushu. That's interesting. I wonder why that is. Yeah. And the the Honkara that that we tasted earlier um, in the previous episode from the same brewery, their Honjozo is milled to 60%. Yeah. yeah. So this is just a little bit more robust than that, but it's also the alcohol-added style. And um, uh, 65% rice milling. Uh, but it has a very gentle edge to it. Um, Interesting some almost just like a, a wisp of a caramely kind of uh, aspect to it. Um, ricey, a little bit caramely, and uh, very overall kind of gentle. And it has a dry finish for sure. That's interesting. And uh, it lingers a little bit. So it's not like a crisp finish that kind of disappears very quickly. There's a little bit of a lingering aspect to it. And that uh, is really, really lovely. Yeah, it's really nice sake. Fantastic. Yeah. Nice. And uh, what do you think about uh, what do you think about food for that? Hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think this would go really well with a barbecue, actually. Mm. Um, the finish is relatively dry, as I said, but it's not weak. It's not lighter. It's, um, you know, has the body, I think, to stand up to something like uh, barbecue. I had, I had pulled chicken sliders the other day. Really, really delicious. Um, pulled and chicken sliders. Ooh, yeah, that sounds pulled good. chicken. And the way that the place near me does the pulled chicken is like they give you the sauce on the side. Yeah. So you can control how saucy you make the barbecue. And I love that because then I can, you know, sounds nice. yeah. And it came also with uh, pickled onions as well. You know, those, they're like kind of pink in color and they pickle, they do a quick pickle with the onions and they put those on top. Oh, it's so good. I think that would be great with this. That sounds nice. That's very, very specific, but <laughs> yes. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I think people can extrapolate based on what we, but you said there. Yes. I think we have barbecue all over this great country, don't we? Oh, yes, definitely. Absolutely. So, John, how about you? What do you have? Well, the Hanagaki Usunigori Junmai Daiginjo, uh, it's obviously you can't see from here, uh, those are sitting at home, but it's very, very light. Uh, there's mm. not a lot of uh, sediment in this at all. It is, you know, when it is Usunigori, it is very much Usunigori. It's just giving it a little bit of color, makes it a little bit like pearlescent. Mm. Mm. It's a, uh, this is really nice. Uh, the aroma is, I mean, you can, you, you know how you can sometimes smell uh, a nigori. Nigoris have a certain aroma to them a little yes. bit. Yes. It's faintly there. Like it's not, it doesn't smell like most nigoris, but that, but you, you're definitely going to know that it is a nigori. Mm. And then there's a little bit of a sweetness on the nose too. Mm. Um, there's a little bit of sweetness on the on the taste as well, but nothing overwhelming. This is, I know that a lot of nigori can be can be very sweet. Uh, this is definitely not in that category. It's, you know, very light, very elegant. So we're on Zoom, so I can see it. But for our listeners, how would you describe the kind of the thickness of the nigori? Like, is it see-through or is it a little bit thicker? Is it opaque? It's a, it's it's. So semi-transparent. <laughs> um, yeah. No, it is It is definitely not, you know, it's not chunky. It's not, uh, it is not thick. It is, it's It's just enough to give it some color. Mm -hmm. and, and, it, you know, and it influences the uh, texture very slightly. This is still mm. pretty light on the mouthfeel. I mean, it's a little bit thicker than your average Jimai Daiginjo. But it is not anywhere near as thick as your average nigori. Hmm. Do you have the stats for your sake? I do. Uh, it is polished down to 40%. Oh, wow. And it's using uh, Gohyakuman Goku. All right. Uh, and the brewery is uh, Nambu Shuzo, and they are in uh, Fukui. Mm -hmm. I don't think All we right. get that much from Fukui over here, do we? 
there's there's a few really well-known breweries from Fukui, but I think for sake production, it's a pretty small group of, of breweries. Yeah. All right. This is, it's really nice. Again, it's a, it's just, it's a, it's a difficult sake to describe because it's two different styles, um, not clashing, but kind of cooperating. A little bit of a you know a little bit of a silky texture, very refreshing aroma. A little bit dry, a little bit crisp, a tad bit fruity, but you know nothing not not like your tropical fruits. Maybe you're more along the lines of uh, like like green grapes, uh, muscat grapes. Uh, it's really nice, but this is very delicate again. And for food pairings, I'm not going to put this near anything more exciting than sushi. Hmm. I think that this is this will play nice with your this will play nice with omakase I think very nicely Mm -hmm. but uh, I wouldn't want to mess with it too much I think that it would I think that would be um, I think that strong food flavors would really interfere with what you're getting out of this sake Uh, for the record I do not know how this was pressed which which basically means that we know it's not uh, Shizuku or a centrifuge because I'm pretty sure they would have it right on the bottle <laughs> and make sure that you know why this sake costs so much money. <laughs> well, the importer's website for Bon Ryu tells me that the pressing method for the sake I'm enjoying is Yabuta. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I know this was pressed by Yabuta. I took a look at the uh, importer's website and did not see. Uh, that sort of detail. So I went to the Japanese version of the brewery's website and still did not find that sort of detail. You know, uh, the brewery is not required to share their pressing method. Some, some people do it for sake of completeness. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mine just happens to have the pressing method listed. Um, If the sake is sold as a Shizuku, that tells you automatically, you know, it's the drip or the trickle method. Um, and some sakes also have fune in the name, uh, fune shibori, uh, fune pressing. So there's different, sometimes they give you a clue, but the majority of sakes in Japan are pressed using that yabuta, that automatic press. So it's usually safe to assume that unless you're told otherwise. That's right. I'd say that's okay. true. Yeah. Very interesting. Nice. All right. Well, Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. If you can, please take a moment to rate our show on Apple Podcasts. It'll really help us out a lot, and we appreciate it. And we want to make sure that if you're listening to our show, you don't miss an episode. So make sure you subscribe wherever you download your podcasts, and these episodes will just pop onto your mobile device whenever you like. It's going to be very nice. Like magic. Like magic. They're just going to pop onto your device. And as always, uh, to learn more about any of the topics or any of the sakes we talked about in today's episode, be sure to visit our website, sakerevolution.com, for the detailed show notes. And if you have any questions, burning sake questions that you need answered, please reach out to us at feedback at sakerevolution.com, and we will answer your questions on the show. And so... Until next time, please remember to keep drinking sake and... Kampai!